Okay, today is Thursday. It is July the 7th, 2011. And I don't think I have any announcements. Uh, we're a ways off from Friday night at the movies, but we will have Friday night at the movies this coming Friday. Um, I've got a couple of selections of movies. I don't know which one it's going to be yet. No, this month. It's going to be this month. But isn't it the last Friday of this month? Yeah. No, it's not this Friday. Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we never have to worry about you dropping the ball or letting us down or not being there. We thank you for your mighty word. We need your word like we need the air that we breathe. So we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate this evening on it. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I have one short, uh, a couple of paragraphs from um, the Brian Call page. I didn't have a page. The Brian Call is only about six pages long, so you can find it if you want to. It's by Ron Merriman. I know Ron, he's uh, an elderly fellow. He's a great speaker. I've seen him at different uh, conferences, specifically at the uh, Schaefer Theological Conference in Houston at West Houston Bible Church. And he's just, if you go and get some of the conference DVDs back there, hope you all do that from time to time. There's a lot of great information you can learn and you can just uh, put it into your DVD player and... Ron is a very good speaker, and he hits the target on this very short little article he has here, only about three paragraphs. And the, the name of the article is Doctrine in the Pastoral Epistles. Do you all know what the pastoral epistles are? It is the, or they are the, the epistles that were written with instructions for pastors. This is in First and Second Timothy and Titus, and they're called the pastoral epistles. This is what Ron has to say. This is a quote. Till I come, give attention to the reading of the exhortation to the doctrine. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And this is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 and verses 15 through 16. I think we need to go there. So I probably should have told you to go there and go along with me here. 
There's some things in these few scriptures that are certainly worth noting. I don't think I have to tell this group, but I keep telling the young people, if there's a book that starts with a T in the New Testament, they're all grouped together. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. So go to the batch of epistles that have the T's, and you'll find First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four, and he he, he skipped fourteen. But he starts with verse 13. Let's, let's go over it again now that you're reading them. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now this is instructions to pastors. And we are to do that how long? Until he comes, whenever that is. Do not neglect, well, oh, he, he, I'm going to skip 14 since he did. Then he goes on, verse 15. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both to yourself and for those who hear you. I'm not sure what translation he was using. This, that was the New American Standard Version. I like the one he had because it, it said, Take heed to yourself and to doctrine. See where you have verse 15? Verse, I guess it's verse 16. Uh, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. But he says in this, in Ron's, the translation that he used, he used the word doctrine. I like that. So in your Bibles where you see teaching there, write in doctrine. Doctrine, yeah. That's the King James I guess he was uh, reading from. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Now, I think that's good advice not only for pastors. I think that's good for everyone, don't you? To heed it. That means to follow it, to use it. Continue in them, for in doing so you will save both yourself and those you hear. What is that talking about? What kind of salvation is this? Is this salvific? No, right, it's experiential. So write that somewhere in your margin. This is another illustration of experiential salvation. It's used all the time. Of course, there would be legalists who would claim that this is what you need to do in order to have eternal life and maintain it, that you have to heed the doctrine. Okay, I just thought that was a great verse, don't you? Even though it's to pastors, it's, it's applicable to everyone. Now, after this, he says, I have highlighted the definite arc articles 
each from the Greek text because they affirm the focus of public ministry, the Word of God. So in this, you don't see what I'm reading here, but what he has is the uh, articles like uh, the direct articles. Till I come, give attention to the reading. This is verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the... Now, he in the NASV, they have public reading, but that's in italics, so it wasn't there. He's talking, not any reading, the reading. He's emphasizing the articles. And then he says, Till I come, give attention to the reading, to the exhortation. Maybe you can circle these or... This is verse 13 in, in the King James is there. This is what I'm reading from. And then he says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. NASV is the teaching. Now this is Paul writing to Timothy circa A.D. 65. Paul's admonition here is directed to three emphasis in Timothy's public ministry. When believers met in assembly, Timothy was to, one, attend to the reading aloud of the Scriptures. Number two, he was to attend to the exhortation that would be encouragement flowing from the Scriptures. And number three, attend to the doctrine, the organized or systematized teaching of God's Word. Timothy was to meditate on these things. That is, literally keep giving meticulous care to these. It, the word, the Greek word there is melitao, M-E-L-E-T-A-O, in the present tense, active voice, imperative mood. This sounds like me. I'm, this isn't me. This is Ron in this article. But th he's, he's making a point here. The present active indicative means to give himself entirely to them, be in these things, be absorbed in them, and continue or persevere in them, for in so doing, he and his listeners would be delivered from the evils of this age. That's what it's talking about. When he's talking about being saved, he's talking about being delivered from the evils of this age. Strong imperatives for young pastors from the apostle. It is evident that Paul's confidence in accomplishing God's purpose was solely in the Word of God. You hear that? Repeat. It is evident that Paul's confidence in accomplishing God's purpose was solely in the Word of God. What was to be normative to Timothy has become dreaded in evangelical churches today. Doctrine has become the dreaded D word. Some see it as divisive. And though truth and error ad admit little difference. In other words, they think that if, if you concentrate on doctrine, you're going to be divisive. It's going to cause uh, rifts. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. And you have to decide, do you want to 
focus on God's word. And if other people want to separate from you or if it divides, so be it. Or do you want to get into ecumenical type of uh, action where really the word of God doesn't matter that much. It's the unity that matters. That's where most of people have gone. Now back to this article. He says, Some see it as divisive, uh, divisive, as though truth and error admit little difference. Need I say that doctrinal truth by nature is quite intolerant of error. Others see it as dry and boring, as though God's truth is unrelated to human experience. Still others avoid doctrine like the plague, fearful that it minimizes love, as though love can be sentimentally divorced from truth. Not so with the Apostle Paul and in his pastoral epistles, which is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Uh, I, I gave you uh, that earlier, if you remember. Uh, he communicates the importance of sound doctrine. Did you notice pastoral, pastoral epistles, letters to those who would be responsible for emphasizing, uh, emphasizing in the assembling and gatherings. Pastors, elders, seminarians, take note. As kindly as possible and with empathy, having pastored for 14 years, I ask, are believers in your assembly well-grounded doctrinally or not? If not, why not? Believers, are you well-oriented to biblical truth so that you can propagate and defend doctrinal truth? Or are you leaving such to the pros? That's the end of his little deal. That's what I like about Paul. Uh, uh, well, what I like about Ron. He asks you probing questions, doesn't he? And we have to, we have to realize, I know that it's hard to come at least three times a week and get into God's Word. And if anyone would, would come for the reason of being entertained, uh, to be stimulated and have an emotional high, they won't last long. The people in this church, the ones that stay and gut it out, are the ones that recognize the importance of what Ron was pointing out through the pastoral epistles and that is it's all about God's word and there's not many churches and there's not many people these days that are interested in exegetical type teaching I don't know what the percentage is but there's not many pastors that teach verse by verse most of them is topical most of them is it's very light and so this was really an exhortation from Ron to me and from, well, let me, put it back, let me put it this way. This was really an exhortation from the Lord to Paul and from Paul to Timothy and from Timothy to Ron and from me to you. That's the way it came. All right, let's get into our other epistle that starts with a T, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We just finished... Verse 10. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 
in verse 10. For even, if, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Uh, that's a pretty strong admonition there. You know, we have buildings all over our country, government buildings. Wouldn't you like to see some government buildings with this carved over the top? I'd like to see that. Okay, we looked at that and we saw, um, let's see what verse 11 says. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, that's where we, we started last time. I guess I'll put the notes up so you can see. And if you weren't here, you can kind of follow some of the things that we looked into. Um, we hear, and we went through the Greek word there, present active indicative. They kept on hearing something. And the word leading here is the one that we spent some time on. The word leading right here is actually... The, the Greek word peripateo, and it means to walk or walking. And that launched us into all these verses. Look at this. John 8, 12, Romans 6, 4, Romans 8, 4, Romans 13, 13, Romans 14, 15, 1 Corinthians 3, 3, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Galatians 5, 16, Ephesians 4, 1, Ephesians 5, 2, Ephesians 5, 8, Ephesians 5, 15, Colossians 4, 5, 2 Thessalonians 2, 12, 1 Peter 5, 8, 2 John 4, Revelation 21, 24. We went through all of those verses, but we didn't go that fast, did we? <laughs> we looked at them in detail. What does it mean to walk in love, walk by the Spirit, walk as children of life? Be careful how you walk. Conduct yourself with wisdom. See there, the conduct yourself is peripateo. It means to um, be careful how you walk. Conduct yourself with wisdom. That's conducting yourself, same thing. Behave properly is still peripateo, walking. The devil prowls around, peripateo, but he doesn't walk. He prowls like a lion. Uh, walking in the truth. Nations will walk by its, that is the glory of God's light. We won't plow that ground again. We're, we're starting here because there's a lot here we have to still deal with in verse 11. We have the phrase, are leading an undisciplined life. We already have the verb leading, which is peripateo, uh, present active indicative. Now we have undisciplined life. This is an adjective, and the adjective is ataktos, A-T-A-K-T-O-S. And it's an adjective, and it means in defiance of good order, disorderly without respect for established custom or received instructions. This is the same word used just five verses earlier when Paul commanded the believers to separate from other believers who had lived, who led an actactos life, an unruly life, not according to the instructions we had, uh, not according to the instructions he had given them. So, there we have the same word used again. Now, we went into some detail in it there, but we're going to look at a little more detail here. Ak, atatos. When the members of a church are out of their places to see that 
little uh, can be accomplished in such a state. Many a church is like an army where half the soldiers are out of line, out of the line where there is entire insubordination in the ranks and where not half of them could be depended on for efficient service in campaign, in a campaign. The idea represented by this word group is that of deliberate disorder, disorderliness, insubordination, or unruliness. All that is gathered in this one Greek word. As Gavinenta says, although the refusal to work appears to be one of the leading problems with these believers, the word itself suggests something other than sloth. It suggests a sense of insubordination that results in disorderliness and therefore includes a refusal to work. And this was from the Journal of Dispensational Theology, Volume 10. And this is from Tyndale Theological Seminary. That's where that came from on that word, autoctos. There never has been a perfect church and never will be until the body of Christ becomes the bride of Christ. Then we'll be free of our old sin nature and we'll sin no more. Do I need to explain those terms that everyone understand? We are now called what? The body of Christ. Once we live, leave this veil of tears, once our Lord returns, then we are going to become the bride of Christ and there is going to be a literal wedding supper that we will attend. And we've studied that before. If you're not up on it, uh, you can look it up on the Internet or um, we'll get information to you if you need it. So this is a good church. And yet there were some who were disorderly. They were insubordinate. They were slothful. They, one reason that Paul is making the issue in this part of the epistle that he worked with his hands. He was a tent maker. He had, the, he had the right to be supported by the church, but he didn't take that right. He didn't take that uh, blessing because he wanted others who were not working to see that even though he was supported or should be supported, um, he worked in order to be a good example to them. So we have in this so far, they are leading an undisciplined life. That's that autotos. Then we have doing no work at all. Now the word for doing here is ergozomai, E-R-G-O-Z-O-M-A-I, and it's a participle. It's the present middle participle. Can you see in there? You have the word for work is ergon. So you can see this is in that word group. You have ergozomai. Uh, Zomai is a Greek ending that is added to or is the way it, it ends this particular verb and has a, this is the uh, participle ending for a plural middle. You got all that? Okay, it means to engage in an activity involving considerable expenditure of effort, to work, to labor. This is the same word used in the previous verse 10 where it says, If anyone will not ergonzomai, neither let him eat. So it's talking about uh, ex extending effort. It's, for the most part in this day and age, when this was writing, 
when this was written, it was talking about working with your hands because that's how most people made a living then. And so it's the, that same word. You're going to see why this is important in a moment or so. Some people think that work is a, a curse or a cursing on man and they hate to work. But they are mistaken. Adam worked in the garden before he ever sinned. The curse for Adam sinning involves work, but it wasn't work in and of itself. I'll show you what I'm talking about in these verses. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Now, you can't see this Hebrew word when I made this into the 24 font. Here's the word right there. And let me see if I... I'm going to try something. I hope I don't shipwreck us all here. I'm going to try to get this in a big enough font to where we can see this Hebrew word. Let's go to 200 font. Okay, no work at all. There God's a mine. There it is. Can you all see that word right here? Okay, let's go to 500 font. I mean, five, not 500 font, 500. <laughs> I don't know if I can find, oh wait, doing. Okay, here we are. There it is. See right here? That's the word for doing. That in the Hebrew, that is abad, A-B-A-D. Right here, that's for the word doing. Okay? Isn't that right, Vidal? Okay. I was going to have him read that for us, but I didn't want to put him on the spot. Okay. I didn't transliterate that. I mean, I didn't put it into the English, but I wanted to show you that's there. Um, and there's the word there is abad, and it means to cultivate. It means to work. That's a Hebrew word that is similar to ergonzomai in the Greek. So what I'm trying to show you is that God didn't punish man for his sin by making him work. He was working before he ever sinned. The whole point is today in our culture, uh, there's, a, there's a stigma on work. Everybody thinks that you have to work. A lot of people go to work because they have to. But I'm here to say that actually work is a blessing. The fact that you're able to work is a blessing in itself. We all have to work. And this is what Paul is saying. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't air God's am I, you're not going to eat. But it's not a curse because Adam was tending the garden before he sinned, so it can't be a punishment in that sense. Now we go to Genesis 3.17. And this is when God is going to be uh, giving the judgment on Adam for his sin. And he says in verse 17, uh, 17 Genesis three seventeen. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Isn't that interesting? What was the sin that Adam committed? What, what was the sin that, the, that would have him to fall? Was it 
listening, hearkening to his wife, or was it eating of the forbidden fruit? It was eating of the forbidden fruit, right? But isn't it interesting here that God didn't even mention that at first? See, he would never have eaten of the forbidden fruit if he hadn't hearkened unto his wife first. So God addresses it in the order in which it went down. He hearkened unto his wife, and then he ate her forbidden fruit. In other words, he let his wife take charge. He wasn't protecting her from uh, this evil. And he says, And you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground of, uh, because of you. Even the, even the earth, the, the ground was cursed because of this. And it says, In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. The word toil. Do I need to, I guess I won't take the time to uh, blow that up. Yeah, it's a different word. I can't even see it. I've got to get a little bit bigger so I can see it. Let's go to 200 font. I mean 200. Do what? I'll find it. <laughs> it's on the right. There it is. Oh, that, that's the, uh, that is abad there. Now, this word is different. Can you all see this is a different word here? Okay, this word is eats a bone. Eats a bone. That's, well, you want it in Hebrew or you want it in English? <laughs> you want it in English? Okay, it would be e. It, it, you have the sod there. I spit on my computer here. It's the sod. <laughs> so I guess it would be E-T-Z-A-B-O-N. It's called eats a bone. <laughs> he eats a bone. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a new, I mean, a, a noon on the end. See that? Remember that noon, that ending on the end? I don't know if you can see it there. Anyway, that's a different word. Well, I won't try that again. I just See, I tried to make the Hebrew font bigger, and everything decided to go to war against me when I did that. So I thought, well, I have to leave it that side. This word, eats a bone, means pain, labor, hardship, sorrow, toil. And so there's a difference between uh, abad, which is, is, which is working, but now it's, it, we would say hard labor. Pain is involved, sorrow and toil. Work got much harder after Adam's sin, but the principle that work is good for man did not change. Work is not only good for the body, it's also good for the soul. Work done well results in a sense of accomplishment and pride for a job well done. Work also keeps people out of trouble. This is illustrated in our current verse. So this is contrary to the norm. Everybody wants to have their ship come in and they don't have to work anymore. A lot of people my age, even some younger, are looking forward to retirement so they don't have to work. I think one of the cruelest things that could happen, maybe not cruel, but one of the hardest things that, that could happen is that you would not have the opportunity to work. 
There are people in prison that all they do is sit in their cell, maybe once, every once in a while they get out in the, in the uh, quad there and work out, do a little things. But that, wouldn't it, a lot of them would love to get out and work. I know that when we have the uh, dump day here in Brenham and they have the people, guys from the county come over here and help, help you unload your truck, get all the trash and garbage out and so forth, and they're in those striped clothes. And I had never asked, have any of you guys ever asked, or isn't that volunteer? I don't think they make them do it. I think that they volunteer to do it just to get out of the monotony and the same old thing of not being able to get out and work. So I'm, I don't know how good a job I'm doing of convincing you that work is not a bad thing. Work is good. And it, it's, it's good for you. God, when we're looking at the word work, boy, could I ever expand on this, but I'm not going to. I'm just talking about how it, it's, it's something that can be good, even though now it's much harder to work. I mean, when, when Adam was tending the garden and cultivating it, uh, he didn't have the uh, black gumbo. He didn't have thorns. He didn't have thistles. It must have been much easier for him. He probably had a lush garden. There wasn't even, he didn't even have to uh, water it. There was a mist that came up from the garden that would water everything. And so he, he had a pretty cushy job, but he did have to work. I guess you could say it was work when he named the animals. But then after he sinned, he was driven out of the garden, and then he had thorns and thistles and black gumbo. I can tell you, I don't know, I don't know if you know what black gumbo is, but it's like concrete. Weeds and stickers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're, here's the, we're talking about work. So this is the Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, 10th edition, what it says about work. It says, an activity in which one exerts strength or faculties to do or perform something. Sustain physical or mental effort to overcome obstacles and achieve an objective or a result. Something produced or accomplished by effort, exertion, or exercise of skill. Something produced by the exercise of creative talent or expenditure of creative effort, artistic production. All of these things have to do with work, and that's a good thing. I know that when Carrie and I built our house, we did a lot of work because we built our log house ourselves. About 95% of it we did. And... We were, there was times we were so tired we couldn't literally just lay down and just had to rest a bit so we'd get up and go at it again. But when it was all said and done, we had a sense of appreciation. We're proud. We are more proud of our house than if we just had a contractor come in and do the whole thing. We would be proud of it then uh, if a contractor did it, but we would not have the same sense of accomplishment of what work produces. So that's an example. Work is not a bad thing. Work as if you were to live a hundred years. Pray as if you were to die tomorrow. That was Benjamin Franklin that said that. Work as if you're going to live a hundred years. See, this has to do with our eschatology and what we're dealing with because some people 
and we, we suppose that maybe even some in Thessalonica had the idea, well, why do I need to work? Christ is going to come, so I, there's no need for me to really exert myself because I won't be, able, be around to be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor. So I just won't work. We don't know for certain. That's why some of them won't, were not working, but we know some of them weren't working because this is why Paul is getting on their case. The smallest deed is better than the greatest intention. Okay. But acting. Now, I'm going to show you something. If y'all are stayed into this, you're going to see something that this is a play on words. You don't see it in the English, but it is in the Greek. Here we have the word work, and the word was ergonzomai. See that up there? Now, we're saying, he says... Uh, doing no work at all. They weren't doing any physical labor, none of this thing at all. And now he says, but acting like busybodies. The Greek word for busybodies is peri uh, ergonzomai. Did you hear that ergonzomai in there? Just added the prefix peri to it. And it's translated busybodies. Periergodzomai is a participle. It also is a present middle. Now, the present middle mean that means they kept on acting like busybodies. The middle voice means they were affected by their own action. It means it's a, it's a compound word. Peri means around or about. Plus, ergodzomai, which means to work or labor. So it equals or it means to go around or about Working, working in the sense of being active, to bustle around or about, to be intrusively busy, being a busybody or a meddler. So you have the word to work, which is legitimate. This is what they were not doing, what they should have been doing, which was ergodzomai, but they were working by peri ergodzomai, by being a busybody. Here's how you see it on, as a play on words here, if we can look at it. Here's the play on word. Here's what it says in the Greek. Menden ergodzomenus, Allah peri ergodzomenus. You see these two? Ergodzomenus, you just add peri, P-E-R-I, to it in the Greek. That's what it says. And I used the English letters so you could follow it. Here it is actually in the transliterated into English. Menden ergodzomai Allah Peri ergodzomenus. This means, this is actually comes from made dice, which means not, a very strong negative. And this means to work. So this means not busy, but peri ergodzomenus means busy being a busy body. Do you see the play on words now? If you were, if you were a Greek, you would be slapping your knee right now. <laughs> That's so clever. And I can tell it just went over like a lead balloon. But that's the play on words. You can see how close this is. They just add peri to it. This is legitimate. Well, not busy is not. Just this part is. Work is, is legitimate. The problem is they were made dice or maiden, not busy. But it's not that they weren't busy at all. They were busy, but they were busy being a busy body. Whew. I could have just let that slide, not even show you, but I thought, well, it's there. 
<laughs> I know that that made your day. Then we have a couple of scriptures that solidify this. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, it says, At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and peri ergodsmanus, also busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. So this is, uh, you see how similar this is? We've got a problem here with the church. A few of the church members in Thessalonica, they go around. That's the peri, means to go about or around. And they were working. But they weren't working with their hands. They were working their mouth. And they were getting into trouble. They were getting themselves into trouble. They were getting others into trouble. They were troublemakers. And so not only is he writing this to the Thessalonians, he also is instructing Timothy. This is a pastoral epistle. And he's saying uh, this is the, they were idle. See, you can't be idle and be a busybody at the same time. If, they will, if you could, it'd be an idle body. Idle body. <laughs> That's hard to say. It's a busy body. They're busy minding other people's business. I guess I beat that horse to death. I'm trying to get it across. And then here's another one. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a peri ergodimanus in other men's matters. Don't be a busybody. So there is a problem with busybodies in the church. He says they're not working. See, busy. if you're a busybody, when everybody's out working, making a living, doing what they're supposed to do, they're not doing that. They're busy. They're idle when it comes to working properly, but they're very busy when it comes to not working and being a busybody. And then we have this, this word... Um, this is what this word is here. See, busybody in other people's men's matters. That's one word in the Greek. And it's alos trios eskapos, episkopos, excuse me. Alos trio episkopos. Okay? That's got 18 letters in it. See, you can see it's not that hard, really. Here you have episkopos. You've heard of that before. You ever heard of the Episcopal Church? Okay. And alostrios, alostrios, uh, that should be uh, a S here in between there. Anyway, uh, here it is in the Greek, and it means belonging to another, not one's own. So that's what alostrios means belonging to another. That's where we get the first part of this word. I'll take it back. This is, this is where alas trio, they drop the S here. It means belonging to another, not one's own. And then you have episkopos, which means a watchman and overseer. So you put those two together. It's someone who watches over someone or something who does not belong to them, and this is none of their business. Alos trio episcopos means busybody. It's another word for busybody. 
Do I need to spell that for anybody? Maybe somebody that's listening might want to hear the spelling of that. It's A-L-L-O-S-T-R-I-O-E-P-I-S-K-O-P-O-S. <laughs> uh, that's just a, a long Greek word for a busybody. Now, I got this from um, the Southern Baptist Journal of Theology, Volume 13, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It says, uh, he's talking about different sins, and he says the third sin is sloth, which is, psychologically, uh, is psychological indifference and physical weariness towards the work that God has provided for one to accomplish. Sloth results in the lack of resources for living. Um, one reason I, I like to put this in here, because we've been talking about work, haven't we? Work is not a bad thing. Work is one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible. Did you know that? Because people don't understand, so many Christians don't understand, especially the grace-oriented ones, that we are still obliged and commanded to what? Work. They're God's a manus. Labor. And there are many who are not saved that think that their works is what gets them to heaven. And not many people understand that no works have been judged yet. Sins were judged on the cross, but works were not. The believer's works are going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Unbelievers' works are going to be judged at the great white throne. And for believers, their works are going to determine whether they are going to get rewards, decorations, crowns, privileges, opportunities for all eternity, or whether they're going to be a heavenly peon. For the unbeliever, their works are what they are indicted for at the great white throne judgment. The very thing that they're counting on, counting on into getting them into heaven is the very thing that they're indicted for. And here's the whole thing. And this is, I, was, I ended the young people's class on this, and I'm going to hit it again next Wednesday. And this is, this is the point. That for anybody that says that they believe in Jesus Christ, and yet they believe in something other than faith, they add something to faith, then they have intruded works into a system whereby God has only uh, accepts faith for eternal life. And most of the people that you will run into will say that they believe in Jesus Christ. And you have to have discernment. And when you're talking to someone and you're trying to give them the gospel, you're trying to help them spiritually, whatever it may be, and you, maybe you don't know them, and you ask them, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And they say, yes. Don't go away saying, hallelujah, I'm so glad I'll see you in heaven. Because the Jehovah Witnesses believe in Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus Christ we do, but they say they believe in Jesus Christ. All of the denominations that are works-based, works-oriented believe in Jesus Christ. Catholics believe in Jesus Christ. If you're going to talk to someone about Jesus Christ, what you need to do is ask them, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And, and do you think that's what you need to do to go to heaven? Or you might put it this way. You ask someone, are you going to heaven? Yes. How do you know? Well, I believe in Jesus Christ. Don't end it there. Ask one more question. 
Is that all you have to do? And that will separate the unbelievers from the believers. Because God only gives eternal life as a gift. Where is that? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He only gives His righteousness as a gift. Romans 4, 5. Eternal life comes as a gift according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Do you know those verses? You know what I decided I'm going to do starting this Sunday? I'm going to change the bulletin. You know what's going to be on the front of the bulletin now? A memory verse. And I hadn't decided whether I'm going to keep that memory verse on there for two weeks or a month. Right now I'm thinking a month. Every bulletin is going to have a memory verse on it. And if you don't know that memory verse by the end of the month, shame on you because we're going to change it to have another one. If you can't memorize a, a verse in a month, you're not even trying. And I hadn't decided what the first... Well, yes, I have decided what the first one's going to be. I'm not going to tell you. You have to wait till Sunday. Y'all should know it anyway. Here's the point. Works is a major issue because most people in, on this planet think that you have to work to get to heaven. Just believing that Jesus Christ exists does not save, does it? You can ask a... A Catholic or a Church of Christ, these people who are works-based, and you can say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe He went to the cross and paid for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that He rose from the grave? Yes. Are you trusting in His work on the cross alone for your salvation? No. Because if they add baptism, going to church, being a good person, or anything else, they didn't get it as a gift because that's the only way that God gives it. If you try to add a work to it, it's no longer a gift. You've got to understand that and be able to sniff these things out so you can give the true gospel. Most people have embraced a false gospel. It's a gospel of works. False gospel of works. And it all has to do with work. So this deal about work is a is a big deal. Sloth. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Proverbs 10:26. Like a vineyard to the teeth, excuse me, vinegar. <laughs> like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy one to those who send him. I don't know about you, but I... Some of you that know me, I, I cannot stand the smell of vinegar. I mean, I can remember when I was a little boy, my mother used to try to rub it on my back when I was sunburned and she'd have to catch me. I hate the smell of it. There, there was a place in Houston called Spee's Vinegar where they made the stuff. And sometimes I had to go by there and it, it stank for about a block like vinegar. And I would literally go blocks out of the way just so I didn't have to smell that vinegar. So this verse really means a lot to me. 
Proverbs 13.4, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. The soul of the diligent is made fat. It's okay if you have a fat soul because you are diligent. Isn't that good news? You can have something that's fat and it's okay. It's good. It's good to have a fat soul. We talk about a big heart. What's the matter with a fat soul? Proverbs 24, 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow after autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. You know all these verses were in here about sluggards and all, did you? Proverbs 20, just be thankful I'm not having you memorize them. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. The sluggard says there is a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. <laughs> you get this. The sluggard is wise, wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Did y'all get the first part of that verse? The sluggard says there is a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. Do you know what that's talking about? He'll use any excuse not to go out and work. I would like to work, but there's a lion out in the square. There might be a lion out there. <laughs> there might be a lion in the road, so I can't get out and work. That's what this is saying. It's using an example. He'll use any uh, idiot thing in order to keep from working. That's what he says. Of course, you understand, he's so sluggish, he can't even put a hand in a dish and bring it up to his mouth. It's too much work. Uh, okay, well, let's see. Is this about? I think we'll save the rest of this for next time. I don't think we have too much of a problem with sluggards as far as not wanting to work, except there are... There are those who are takers and those who are givers. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about their time and their effort. And every church is the same, nearly. That there are uh, the great majority are takers. They come and they expect everything to be clean and nice, everything to be done for them. And they take, take, take. And they never, they never give. And I had that experience about 18 years ago in this church. And what I, started do, what I started doing was teaching on the doctrine of spiritual gifts because we all have one. And every one of us has a spiritual gift that will lend a hand to all the rest of the believers in this church family and the church itself. So um, sluggards, uh, there's always, uh, ch churches always have their number of sluggards, uh, not necessarily that they are to this extent, but they don't realize what it takes, what God expects of them for a church to operate and function properly. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your word. We realize that sometimes your word steps on our toes, but it also inspires and encourages and exhorts us. We pray that you will help us to... Look for ways that we can serve you all the more, but we can't serve just in the capacity just to be serving. 
We need to serve with wisdom and the diligence that comes from the motivation of learning your word. We all want to be good and faithful servants. We pray that you will help us to think about these things, not only think about them, but do them. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.